Hey, this is Rob Harder with Making Your World Better, a nonprofit leadership show where real stories from real people who are coming up with real solutions to solve society's biggest challenges. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? How do people fundraise in an economy that is constantly in flux? How do you relate to board members in a way that inspires them to make a difference? What are the best practices that separate effective nonprofits from others? It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. Welcome to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. It is not hard to argue that we are living in a time of systemic change and complex social problems in our communities today, really throughout the country. I mean, whether it be the challenge of the growing income equality gap and rural communities that are suffering due to a lack of investment, among other things, to the ongoing opioid crisis and gun violence. I mean, many argue that the problems are just too big for individual nonprofits to try to solve them on their own. And I would agree. Collaboration and networking are just critical if we want to solve these giant challenges. So for nonprofit leaders, one of the key questions I think we need to ask is this. How can we best collaborate with others in order to address not just the symptoms, but the systems underlying the problems and the challenges we face? And another question we can ask ourselves is what will we need to change about our leadership style or approach in order to move forward with finding solutions? Well, my guest on today's show will address these questions and more. My guest today is Heather McLeod Grant. Heather is the co-founder of Open Impact, a social impact advising firm, and she's an author, a speaker, and consultant with more than 25 years of experience in social change. She is the co-author of the best-selling book, Forces for Good, which many of you probably are familiar with. Well, she has a new book out with co-author Adeen Sachs entitled Leading Systems Change. Well, we're going to take a deeper dive today into how nonprofit leaders can truly bring about positive systemic change in order to address today's biggest challenges. Enjoy today's show. Heather, it's really fun to have you on the show again. I'm excited to do a deeper dive on our subject today. Your new book, Leading Systems Change, is based on two experiments in a community change that you led over five years in California's Central Valley. It's a region that is agriculturally abundant, yet also has a deep social and economic divide with some of the highest poverty and unemployment rates in the nation, which I think some people will be very surprised to hear. So what were some of the key findings of your research and what surprised you the most? Great. Well, first of all, Rob, thanks for having me back on the show. So I guess the first thing I should say is that this was much more than research. It began with research, but we actually ran and implemented a community-based leadership program for um, actually almost six years in the Central Valley of California in two communities. It was funded by the James Irvine Foundation, but it actually started with research initially. Uh, the James Irvine Foundation is a big statewide foundation in California, very focused on economic opportunity and mobility, and they had been talking to leaders in the Central Valley um, almost a decade ago at this point, back in 2011-2012, and hearing that leaders there were frustrated that much of the philanthropy in California was stuck on the coast in L.A. and the Bay Area, and there wasn't a lot coming into the inland region of California. So these leaders were actually asking the foundation to invest more in their own development, um, they face a host of challenges in their communities, and they wanted to be able to address these challenges more collaboratively. So long story short, Irvine hired us to do some initial research. We went into the community. We talked to more than 50 leaders in Fresno County and then in Stanislaus County, which are the two counties where we ran the program. 
And this is part of the Central Valley and the central part of California. And we learned three really interesting things that then led to the creation of the program, which I'll talk more about in the rest of this podcast. Um, the first finding from our research was that there were a number um, of leaders who were working in the community doing great things, but very much head down working in their silos. So people working on, for example, education reform weren't necessarily talking to or connected to people working on early childhood development even though that's the front end of the pipeline for getting kids ready for kindergarten. And they weren't necessarily talking to healthcare providers or people looking at community health issues who weren't talking to the people focused on housing. So much of our sector, and I think this is true not just in Fresno and Stanislaus, but other communities in this country, the way we've set up nonprofits and government bureaucracies, they're very siloed. And so people aren't talking across these lines. It's what we called horizontal connectivity. They were lacking horizontal connectivity. So that was one of the first findings. Secondly, we found they were lacking vertical connectivity. And by that, we mean there was a whole new generation of leaders emerging in um, these counties and in California generally, who are more people of color, more women, more representative of the demographics of these um, counties as those shift and change. And many of these leaders are in their 30s, 40s, some even into their 50s, but they found that they weren't getting access to kind of the power tables in the community, that there was sort of an old guard of leadership that had been there for many generations, um, typically older, typically more male, typically not representative of these communities, and they were feeling a bit locked out. And so, so there was some frustration on these leaders' parts, like how do we actually get to shape things at more of the systemic level? The third interesting finding is that there was actually a lot of frustration in these communities, but in a good sense. There was beginning to be momentum around change. People were fed up with the way things had always been done. They were frustrated by political divisions and divisiveness. They were um, pragmatically looking for bipartisan solutions. They were really interested in learning how to become better problem solvers. So those three conditions, the low vertical connectivity, the low horizontal connectivity, and the momentum or appetite for change were really the initial findings that then spurred us to design a cross-sector leadership program that would address all of these, you know, all of these uh, challenges in the community. So that's what led to the launch of the NLN, and we'll be talking more about that. Well, Heather, one of the things I really appreciate about this particular data is this is not just research done in a vacuum. I've learned that in the process of your research, you invited nearly 100 leaders in California's San Joaquin Valley to participate in this project who use it as a launching pad for local civic innovation in response to actual local needs. So what were some of the most salient results that you would like to share from this process? Yeah, absolutely. So you're you're absolutely right, Rob. This was initially research, but it actually led to the creation of a program. So actually, it was really much more about running this intensive leadership and capacity building program over six years. The research was really just a very front end phase. Um, so in that sense, it was absolutely applied uh, to work on the ground. So let me just explain a little bit about the program and then I'll talk about the impact. But effectively what we did is we designed a program that would bring together emerging and emerged leaders in the community across all kinds of differences, across ethnic differences, across political differences, across sector differences. We had people from nonprofits, government, and business. We also had faith-based leaders. We had um, community organizers. Uh, we had agricultural workers. 
So it was intentionally an incredibly diverse group of folks we brought together. They went through six months of intensive leadership development in a program where they met for three three-day convenings over that six-month period in small groups. So we took them through the experience in groups of 12 to 15 because that's a really manageable size. You can get to know one another. You can get to have deep conversations. You can dialogue across difference. You can start to build trust. And then that's what led to the innovations in the community. So, so we ran this program in Fresno County initially for three years, and then we got a grant from Irvine to replicate it in Stanislaus County. And in each of these communities, we had 50 to 60 leaders go through the program. So after two years of putting leaders through this intensive program, there were actually robust networks of 50 to 60 leaders in each community, more than 100 in the Central Valley combined, who had been through this program. And um, what we did, and I'll talk more about this later, but we, we basically taught them a whole new set of skills that we believe leaders need to solve problems in communities today. You asked about the impact, so let me pivot and talk about that a little bit. I just felt it was important to give a broad overview of the program first. So the impact, we really thought about tracking the impact on multiple levels. We used a shorthand framework, what we, we've called the I, we, and I being the personal leader, the individual, how did they build their leadership skills? Uh, and we tracked this over time, and we found some really very impressive outcomes on the leadership level. We found that these leaders were building new skills, obviously expanding their networks in really incredible ways, becoming more empowered, starting to really think about how they could step into greater leadership roles in the community. And what was pretty astonishing and quite surprising is that after just a few years, almost 50% of these leaders had actually changed positions in their job. Some people might say, well, that's a failure of the leadership program. We actually saw it as a success because what was happening is they were getting promoted into higher leadership positions in the community. They might be moving from, say, an executive director at a small nonprofit to an executive director at a much larger nonprofit, or they might have been promoted within their organization uh, or, or taken on a job where they had even more influence um, and power in the community. So we thought that was a huge success. They also started joining each other's boards and commissions and getting appointed to lots of civic leadership roles within the community. So on the individual leadership level, really great outcomes. I could go on and on. I could talk for an hour just about the examples of impact, but I hope you get the sense that we certainly felt something really exciting and different was happening in these communities. One of the things I find really interesting is the real diversity of leaders that are represented in this research project. However, for the skeptic that is listening, what would you say to them uh, when it comes to the research findings that were directly from the Central Valley of California? How are they relevant to the rest of us? In other words, talk more about this research and how it can be applied to nonprofits across our country. Yeah, absolutely. So we actually think it has Real relevance, and one of the reasons we published this book, we we actually did this. Uh, we contributed a ton of pro bono time to writing this book. We did have some funding from different funders, but it was really a labor of love, and we're giving it away for free. We decided not to go with a commercial publisher because we really wanted to open source this program model and these ideas, and say any community in the country should be able to pick up this book learn from what we did, and think about how they might apply this model to their community. We do think it could be transferred, and we've actually been working as a firm on some experiments to run similar kinds of leadership programs, not exactly the same, because I don't think you do a cookie-cutter approach, but adapted to local context, but say 80% of the same model, we've run a program in Hawaii with the Hawaii Community Foundation for Leaders there. We've worked with a statewide network of leaders 
um, on early childhood development across the state of California, so spanning very different um, communities and contexts from large urban to very small rural, uh, and we've adapted the model to that through the first five association of California. So we've already started to experiment with how this model can be applied in other places. Um, but what I will say is we actually think the conditions in Fresno and Stanislaus are very similar to the rest of the country and, in fact, more similar with the rest of America than, say, the Bay Area or Los Angeles. Um, the Central Valley of California is an agricultural region. I, I grew up in Fresno, so I'm very familiar with it. I still have family who live there. Um, agriculturally abundant, but in many ways looks and feels more like communities in the Midwest. Uh, or the central part of the country, the heartland, then it feels like sort of the, the coastal, more elite region of the state. Uh, and by that, I mean a lot of folks earn their income from farming. There's pretty high unemployment rates. There's seasonal labor. So there's migration and all the issues that come along with having uh, multiple generations of immigrant communities settling into the same region. Um, they have, you know, struggled with issues, especially in rural counties, you know, high, high levels of poverty. Um, some of the opioid crisis has hit there. So, so I actually think many of the challenges that these counties are facing are not dissimilar from something you might see in Kentucky or in the rural South or even in the Midwest. So that's why we think this holds promise. And I think, you know, the core of this idea is that it really takes citizen leaders who care about their community, who are willing to step up and begin to collaborate and work across difference, who aren't going to get bogged down in partisan divides and all of the kind of squabble that we see on Fox and CNN and in Washington, D.C., but who are really focused on how can we improve our community and what do we need to do that, who are taking responsibility, who are willing to commit and give back, and who are willing to lean into setting aside some of their prejudices and stereotypes and start to really understand where people are coming from so that they can build trust and collaborate. So our hope is that other communities will see uh, at least the germ of an idea in here that they can take and start to uh, work with in their own regions. Well, I love the fact that you are making this research available for free. I mean, truly, it's very impressive. That doesn't happen very much anymore. And I'll talk more about how my listeners can access this PDF later in the show. Now, you mentioned in your work that uh, if we as social leaders are going to be successful in this work, we need to move past what divides us and move towards that which unifies us. Now, I think most of my listeners would agree with the sentiment and say, of course, let's do that. But in today's increasingly polarized environment, this is really hard to do. So how do we go about doing this effectively? So first of all, I just want to underscore something I said earlier, which is I don't think nonprofits can go it alone. So for the folks listening to your podcast who are from the nonprofit sector, I think nonprofit leaders can be catalysts in their communities. I think they can be conveners in their communities. We often see the nonprofits stepping up and bringing people together. You know, foundations are really good at doing this, community foundations in particular, <clears throat> and United Ways and other intermediaries. We see them acting as conveners to start to bring together other sectors. So I would first encourage nonprofit leaders to look outside of their own sector and think about, okay, how do we really leverage government here? Because if we're going to change systems, we need to be looking at policies, right? We need to be looking at resource flows from government. We need to be looking at these larger systems that we work within. Similarly, we need to be looking at how does the business community get engaged, right? How do they give back to the place where they live? How do they focus just, you know, on more than just profit, but also focus on the people in the community? So, 
So I think nonprofits need to really uh, begin thinking more strategically about how to engage other sectors in this work. And nonprofits are also great at innovation. I mean, they're great at coming up with new ideas. They can take more risks than government can take. They can be a little bit more innovative. They can be on the front edge. Um, and they're not necessarily driven by the profit motive of business. So, so all that being said, I think in terms of moving toward what, you know, what unites us, I think it, it actually comes down to some very, very simple things. <laughs> and it, those are somewhat counterintuitive to how the rest of the world works. But first of all, I think we need to spend the time building relationships across difference. Now, I will say this is not easy. It's hard. That's why we had a, an expert trained facilitation team um, who came in and really helped us lead and run this program. I think really good facilitation is critical when you're bringing people together who may be on opposite sides of an issue politically. But the thing we did in these retreats and these convenings is we spent at least half of our time not going over content, but just really getting to know one another and investing in building those relationships so that you could start to build trust. So what do I mean by that? I mean that people were sharing very personal stories about their backgrounds, about what has influenced their beliefs and their, their value systems, about why they do the work that they do. And when you actually get people in a room and you're not talking about partisan politics and you're not talking about your position on, you know, Trump or the election in 2020 or which Democratic candidate you're supporting, when you get out of all that noise and you actually just bring people together as human beings, and you don't focus on the ideologies and the political discourse, but you actually focus on human stories, it's amazing what can happen. You start to find that actually at the end of the day, we all want more of the same things than, you know, the, the small percentage of things where we might disagree on political issues. We actually want healthy communities. We want our kids to have good education. We want access to health care. We want to live in a community that is vibrant and thriving, where there's successful business community where people want to live and stay, right, where they're not fleeing to other parts of the country to find jobs. So when you get to that level and you break things down and you start to actually ground it in personal stories and then start talking about the systems and structures of which I would argue the media environment is one and our political system is one that are really broken and aren't serving us, then you can actually start to create the space for creativity and innovation and thinking about how to change these systems. But at the end of the day, it starts with something really simple, which is building those relationships, giving people the time and space to get to know one another without all that divisive political discourse in the room and really start to look at problems from a new angle and think about how can we solve these together. Hey, everybody, Rob here. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Show. If this is your first time listening to us, I wanted to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other interviews with fascinating guests that I've previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org, and there you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country, even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I think you'll really enjoy those interviews. We want to give you more content, and we'd like to get that information to you. And all you have to do is give us your email. When you go to that website, you can put your email address in that first box you'll see on the front page, and you'll be added to our monthly email update. In addition to some great content, you'll see the latest uh, podcast shows. It will be actually sent right to your inbox. And that way you'll never miss any of the great content on this show. The other thing I'll mention to you is if you have questions or comments or you'd like to be on the show, do not hesitate to email me. I'd love to hear from you. Just do that through our website, my email, rob at ccofpc.org. 
Well, thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. Well, we are sponsored by Cinch Web Services, your best choice for WordPress support. We have a special offer for those who listen to this show. First of all, Cinch is the best choice you can make for WordPress and WooCommerce support. They are experts at solving all sorts of website issues, from big problems like fixing a completely broken site to their tiniest of details that are stumping you. Cinch offers an ongoing support plan starting at $99 a month, which covers all mandatory website maintenance tasks, plus 30-minute fixes for free. I personally use Cinch for my websites, and I can say that support and expertise that I've received from them is top-notch. They're great to work with, and I no longer need to worry about the health or status of our websites because Cinch is there for us. Cinch knows that most nonprofits do not have an in-house support team. So when problems arise, the last thing an executive director wants to do is be troubleshooting issues that are not in his or her wheelhouse, taking up valuable time that all EDs have very little of. So rather than relying on staff or untrained volunteers, let the WordPress experts at Cinch put your mind at ease and handle all your website troubles, maintenance, and tech needs. Now here's the best part. As I said before, you can get 50% off your first month of support at cinchws.com slash nonprofit leadership and just use the promo code leadership during checkout. Once again, that's cinchws.com slash nonprofit leadership and use the promo code leadership for 50% off your first month of support. We want to thank Cinch for sponsoring our show and for being a reliable support team we can trust. Well, for those just tuning in, my guest today on the show is Heather McLeod Grant. Heather is the co-founder of Open Impact, a social impact advising firm, and an author, speaker, and consultant with more than 25 years of experience in social change. She is the co-author of the best-selling book, Forces for Good, and she has a new book out with co-author Adine Sachs entitled Leading Systems Change. Well, Heather, another idea you sought to explore was how a group of community leaders could recreate community that has equity at its center. How did you go about doing this, and why is that so important to focus on? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think, you know, I've been on my own personal journey as a, you know, a white woman who has had a fair amount of privilege in my life, especially going to the educational institutions I've been to and living where I live now in Silicon Valley. Um, Both my parents, by the way, grew up in evangelical families in a pretty high degree of poverty. So I know I came from a background that wasn't as privileged, but I have moved into very privileged worlds in my lifetime. So I've been on my own personal learning journey around this. And what we began to realize working in these communities is, first of all, these communities are incredibly diverse. I mean, anybody who lives in America knows, like, I think diversity is one of our greatest strengths. I think we need to stop you know, blaming and shaming people for their backgrounds. And uh, we need to start to see that actually our diversity as a country, I think, is one of our greatest strengths, if we can harness that towards creating positive change. And it's also true that in America, this country was built on a history of slavery and that people who are immigrants, especially in the Central Valley, come in with very different experiences of living here. And so we really felt that we had to start putting conversations about equity and race and power into the room. These are difficult conversations to have. I do not recommend going there without a highly skilled facilitator. Um, but, but for example, what we learned in Fresno is we initially had an all-white facilitation team, even though we had diverse participants in the room. And we realized, like, okay, that might be great for the, the white folks in the room, but the Latinx folks in the room didn't feel that their experience was being fully reflected or heard, or the African-American black participants didn't feel that, or the Hmong 
and South Asian um, immigrants who are, uh, there's a large Hmong population in the Fresno community in particular. So when we sought to replicate the program in Stanislaus, we intentionally addressed that. We went out and we hired a much more diverse facilitation team, and we actually made it explicit that um, having conversations about race and equity and power were going to be part of the curriculum going forward. So that was one of the biggest changes we made from the Fresno model to the Stanislaus model. And I think it, it was overall very successful. We got a lot of positive feedback on that. And it also meant having some hard conversations. So as I said, I think having skilled facilitators who are comfortable talking about these issues, many people are still uncomfortable talking about it. Um, I think that was one of the key success factors. Well, you make the argument that if we're truly going to be successful in addressing and hopefully solving today's biggest challenges, we as leaders need to be willing to change our styles or methods of leadership. So this is hard to do, right? So what are the most important leadership methods it takes to bring about these social changes in your opinion? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, there's a new concept that's kind of been making its way around the nonprofit sector. Anybody who's been reading you know, the whole body of work on collective impact and collaboration um, may be familiar with this idea of systems leadership. So one of the reasons we call this book Leading Systems Change is that we think we need more leaders who are willing to step out and change systems, not just build successful nonprofit organizations. Building nonprofits is necessary but not sufficient. So we started from that premise that this was not just a nonprofit management program. And, in fact, when Irvine had first asked us to go out and do that research, Way back in 2012, before we launched the program, you know, they initially started with the idea of let's empower nonprofit leaders, and our research led us to conclude that actually just empowering nonprofit leaders without connecting them into business and government and faith-based community and education and other big structures in the community isn't going to be as successful. So that's why we designed this to be intentionally cross-sector. We also developed a curriculum that was, again, not just about organizational management. I think at this stage, you know, 20 years ago, there wasn't a lot of good work around nonprofit leadership. I think now, two decades later, you know, I started my career back in the 1990s, and there weren't that many resources. Now we have nonprofit management schools. We have MBA programs where you can major in nonprofit leadership and management. We have capacity-building organizations. We've had several decades of sort of building the knowledge in our field about what it takes to run and scale a successful nonprofit organization, um, including my book, Forces for Good, (laughs) more than a decade ago. But this program, we really wanted to get beyond that and focus on what does it take for leaders in the context of place, in communities, to change systems. And so we designed a curriculum that we think is pretty cutting edge, we took kind of five pillars, if you will. We had five pillars to our sort of intellectual curriculum and the underpinnings of this program. The first was being able to think about systems more holistically. What do I mean by that? I mean not just focusing on your organization and what you're doing and and how to run it and how to manage it, but actually looking at the systems and structures in the community. Like, why is homelessness skyrocketing in the Bay Area? Well, these are systemic problems. It's partly because we have extraordinary job growth here, and at the same time, you have uh, escalating housing prices and rents that are out of control, and so you have more and more people being displaced. Now, I know that's the Bay Area, but in Fresno, the equivalent might be, why are so many people moving into the region who are underemployed? Well, it's because they're being displaced from the Bay Area. So these are systemic problems. They're interconnected. They're dynamic. 
they're complex. They have to do with the structure of our economy. They have to do with the structure of our government. So by starting to look at problems systemically, and we took them all through these kind of systems mapping exercises, they could start to see what some of the drivers and causal factors are that are creating these problems and start to attack root causes, not just think about how do we solve immediate needs, but how do we start addressing underlying systems problems. Secondly, we taught them network thinking in theory. That's a little bit academic and jargony, but by networks, we mean relationships. You know, I think network thinking in theory underpins a lot of social media. It's partly why social media has been so successful, for better or for worse, (laughs) as we're now seeing. There's a dark side to it. But this notion that you really need to build relationships and connectivity and collective power in order to get things done and to change existing structures and systems. So we spent a lot of time on thinking about networks, how you build strategic networks to create social change. Third, we taught them design thinking. So this is, you know, very trendy the last decade. I live in Silicon Valley close to Stanford, the Stanford Design School, the Hasano Plotner School of Design at Stanford, commonly known as the D School is uh, has become very popular in the last five to ten years. Um, groups like IDEO, et cetera, Pixar, the founder of Pixar, wrote a book called Creativity, Inc. They've all looked at this idea of innovation and creativity and how can we actually create a structured process to create new solutions and to create innovation. So not just relying on that light bulb moment in the middle of the night, but actually saying there is a way we can create a structured process that can lead to creative thinking and innovation. So we taught them design thinking. We even brought them to the D school at Stanford for some training. We used experts to teach them this methodology and process, which really starts with user-centered design and empathy. So we had these participants go out into the community and interview people about very specific problems in the community and then take those interviews and use the insights from that to begin creating new solutions. The fourth piece was leadership and coaching. We actually worked on individual leadership development. People had their own leadership plans as they went through the program. In Stanislaus, we provided additional free coaching. Uh, Each leader got access. We didn't do that in Fresno, but we decided that would be an important addition to the program, so we added it in for Stanislaus. So each leader had access to four or five coaching sessions, one-on-one with a coach, to work on issues that they wanted to work on. So we feel that was important for their own development. And then lastly, the equity piece, which we talked about recently, but this idea of bringing conversations about equity and power dynamics into the room so that these leaders could collectively begin to understand structures that are keeping certain populations on top and having uh, more power and privilege and certain populations being kept down. So those are the five pillars, systems, networks, design thinking, leadership and coaching, and then equity. And that was really what we feel our innovation was creating this new framework that really curated and integrated a lot of different bodies of thought into a coherent training program that we could put these leaders through. As I said earlier, one of the best parts of this research is that you have made it free for all of us. Thank you for doing that. That's so rare. But I love the fact that you want to make sure that no matter what your income level is, that you can access this wonderful research of what you did there in California. So thanks for offering that to all of us. Well, you're welcome. And for folks who are wanting to know where they can download their own copy of the book, you can go to newleadershipnetwork.org. Or if you just Google Leading Systems Change, a workbook for community practitioners and funders, uh, it should take you right to the landing page. You can also download it from my firm, um, Open Impact, 
www.thrivingcoaches.io. Uh, we're a social impact advising firm. And then the group of trainers that we worked with have their own practice, the trainers and facilitators called the Within Collaborative. So you can go to any of those three sites and find a very obvious link where you can download the whole book. Um, it is pretty long, so it's, it's you know, 130 plus pages. But you can print it out. You can read it online. And we also have an executive summary available if you just want the sort of highlights and the recap. But if you really want access to the exercises, I, I suggest downloading the whole workbook because it gives you a very um, comprehensive overview of everything that we did and actually gives you templates and tools that you can use to recreate some of this in your own community. Again, my guest on the show today is Heather McLeod Grant. Heather is the co-founder of Open Impact, a social impact advising firm, and an author, speaker, and consultant with more than 25 years of experience in social change. She's the co-author of the best-selling book, Forces for Good, which many of you have probably read. She also has a new book out with co-author Adine Sachs entitled Leading Systems Change. And as we mentioned earlier, this is free to download on the internet. I encourage you to do that. So Heather, thank you again for providing nonprofit leaders with such great content and research. What I particularly appreciate about your latest work is that you've made it so practical. I mean, this is not just a collection of ideas and theories. You've really made this applicable to local solutions, and you've made it accessible to leaders from all across different sectors, which honestly, I believe it will make this information that much more relevant. So I encourage you, my listeners, to go download this information today. It's full of just great insights. And so once again, Heather, thanks for being on the show today and sharing your insights with us. Thanks so much, Rob. It was great to be here. I wanted to let you know that we are on iTunes. If you are wondering how to find out where we are, check us out on iTunes by typing Nonprofit Leadership Podcast or Rob Harder, and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast, and your feedback will help us expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as we can. You can also go online to listen to this podcast, either nonprofitleadershippodcast.org or my website, robharder.com. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep making your world better.